I, 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 I marvel at the disconnect between myself and other people who call themselves journalists and how different it is to feel like a 9-11 truther when I listen to people who are just drinking the Kool-Aid or mixing the Kool-Aid for the establishment. They just seem so foolish. They And then they say things that I'm like, is there any truth to that? And I mean, there's plenty of things I don't know. But when they talk about Russia, it's just like, okay, Russia, Russia, Russia. It's just like, I mean, a lot of conservatives just believe and have found, like in my case, I looked, I looked for the proof. The Mueller report came out and said no Russian collusion. I looked into evidence of any kind of cyber attack in the election. And they would point sometimes to FireEye and, uh, what's the other one? Two Google cybersecurity outfits that just seem totally dubious. That is, they don't even seem like they're real. Besides, like, they have the apparition of cybersecurity companies and, like, they wouldn't point to any evidence. It was just all claim. It was all claim. And I, I did some analysis on that. What was it? FireEye and, like, cyber, some stupid name. Like, it sounds like an action flick. <coughs> So that was like what I tried to do. I tried to find the evidence that the um, Russians hacked the election. And then when they published the the memes on Facebook that they said were like Russian memes, they were the most ridiculous things I'd ever seen in my life. That as if they would be persuasive. And they gave no real context then for how these memes allegedly infected people's minds enough to s- swing the election, make them decide it was it was such a ridiculous and preposterous claim. And it, it had no validity. Basically. And anyway, there was like much of the Russia stuff that they've been chanting about for like three years now, it seems like, has just, to me, has just seemed completely bogus. And, you know, then I'm, what I'm really responding to here as usual is Recode. Kara Swisher interviewed this guy from CNN. I don't recognize his name, but he allegedly has... Well, sorry to say allegedly. I can't even... T- <laughs> it's funny because I have to keep saying that over and over and over. But it's like, okay, so he wrote a book, apparently. Well, actually, did he type a book? Did he have an assistant type a book? He probably didn't write it in longhand, but maybe he did. That's just the phrase people use. But about shadow war of Russia and China. And some of the claims that he was offering in the podcast are, like, almost impossible for me to validate, such as that China has a moonraker satellite that's capable of picking other satellites out of orbit. I think he said they tested it once. I mean, it's just like, how am I ever going to validate that? And then uh, that Russia and China have these new subs that can evade uh, U.S. military detection how am i going to be able to uh know if that's true i'm not going to be able to know if that's true something interesting about those claims that russia and china are dominating the space is it contradicts another logical or another claim that is made when they claim that one of these major superpowers russia or china if they have an advantage say an ai or Something like that. They suggest that if they gain that advantage, they will then take over. 
Yet, when they're talking there about the space weaponry, they're indicating that Russia and China have a clear advantage, tactical advantage, to destroy systems, communication systems and weapon systems. Yet, they haven't taken it. So, they imply that these people are, you know, Russians and Chinese are just horrifically murderous adversarial superpowers. And in other cases, they say if, if they had the advantage, they would take it and dominate. But then they say that they do have the advantage in this case, but they don't dominate. Isn't that funny? But there's actually, so what I'm getting at is there's no way for me to tell whether or not some of those claims are real. I may look into more of them, but I'm just saying, here's my main criticism. Recode and CNN both have enormous credibility problems. Enormous. I've lost, like, any respect, really, for Recode, but all respect for Vox. CNN never had my respect any time lately, and why would I believe any of these things that these people are saying? And so they just go on and on and on about all these claims, and there's, like, no sourcing... I mean, apparently it's in his book, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to probably believe his book either, so. <sighs> anyway, it's just frustrating. And then meanwhile, I'm thinking about what it's like to know the truth about 9-11. And I'll provide sources right now, once again. You can read Operation Northwoods. It's online. You can get a copy. Now, do I know 1,000% or 100% that that was an authentic document? No, I don't. But it's attested to being an authentic document that was... I don't want to go through the whole history lesson. Just read it. That should be thought-provoking enough about what 9-11 really was. I mean, if that doesn't cause you to have suspicions about 9-11, then you're not objective and you're not rational. It clearly outlines a conspiracy to falsify a terrorist attack against the American people that was signed off by the... Chiefs of Staff of the U.S. military. They were going to fake terrorist attacks. That is absolute precedent to think that 9-11 was a conspiracy done by somebody else and that the Arabs were framed. The other proof, of course, WTC-7 collapsing into its own footprint, free fall speed, not sufficient activity in the building to cause the demolition and the collapse. That's... I think that's the most shocking one. And then the Twin Towers, too. Once you start to think about it all, there wasn't sufficient force to have those buildings collapse in that way. And then you have a paper passport that allegedly survived the explosions and was found by someone that was never really named. That's almost impossible to imagine, that it survived this fiery explosion. And furthermore... I think the most uh, conclusive proof is that explosive nanothermite was found in the ground zero dust and can be, if you trust the chain of custody, which I do, but maybe you wouldn't, I mean, it can be argued against, but this explosive nanothermetic material can be seen and witnessed under a heat source exploding. I mean, it's explosive. Explosives were found in the building, a sophisticated explosive, in sufficient quantities. It was, therefore, I mean, basically, that to me proves that there was 
the buildings were blown up with foreknowledge. Maybe that's not proof, though. I mean, sometimes I'm willing to have a debate on that. Like, people could debate, but at least I'm referring to source, sources of evidence, material, to, you know, substantiate my claims. And then the rhetoric that I have is all built upon that. I mean, figuratively, but... So the slogans I come out with are usually kind of loose and crude, like 9-11 was an inside job. I didn't make that up, but... It's just the quickest way to say, or Jews did 9-11 and, and they framed Arabs. I mean, that's a really blunt and crude statement, but it's generally true. And if you look at who did 9-11, whole lot of Jews. Whole lot of Jews in charge of Port Authority. Larry Silverstein and L. Paul Bremer worked for Henry Kissinger. And then behind it all, it does seem the Rockefellers were there, but were they the ones in charge? I don't know. I didn't witness any communications between these people it can be implied the cui bono question and in fact in doing just another round of research i often find little facts like i didn't know until i just looked at snopes that larry silverstein was actually in business with the general motors subsidiary general motors actually took part in leasing the wtc so when you think of a war for oil, I mean, not only were the Rockefellers involved, but General Motors. I think that's a major aspect of who benefited, because who wanted to keep the petro economy going and all the oil flowing? I mean, you know, it seems like car sales would be down, too. But I don't know. That's speculation, but I can kind of I see it as that. Like, instantly, I don't know exactly how... Or if they did that all on purpose, or if they were just convinced. Hey, kitty. Hi. Hi, kitty. Meow. Hey. Other kitty. Cat crossing. Kitties. Kitties. Hey. Hi. Hi, kitty. Meow. Meow. You want this food? You want food? Food? <laughs> food. I mean, I could give you some food, but... <laughs> Bye-bye, kitty. <laughs> they have a sign on the road that says Cats Crossing. That's funny as fuck. Oh, it's really pretty out right now. Little, um... What would you call that? Like a fast food stand like a like a local one what's that called a fast food stand with benches outside it's not it's not a fast food joint it's like a like a one-off restaurant but it's just i love i love places like that um man this place is fucking nice especially at sunset i got one more day in this town if i'm lucky oh yeah, so, I mean, to wrap up that topic, and, I mean, I want to talk more about that, but um, it, what my point is is that as a 9-11 researcher, I always find it, like, that's why I'm frustrated all the time, mostly when I do speeches, is it's so incredibly weird, really. There's, I mean, that's the best way to put it. To have all this knowledge that 9-11 was a total fraud, and that everybody's perception about the war on terror is wrong, except for the people that think like me. 
And then to listen to journalists, alleged journalists, who also had ties to State Department or aspirations to be spies or whatever, and just to think, you know, I mean, are they disinfo on purpose or are they just fucking idiots? And I just think they're fucking idiots. And no matter how amazing the guy's voice is, like, he sounds like even better than me. Well, Kara, I did go to China, and I asked my wife if it was okay, and then we went, and she was excited about raising our kids in the culture, and I was on the inside of those rooms with those boards. Uh, we have the mistaken impression that people inside of political meetings actually seem to know what they're doing. I mean, or that they can draw upon all of this intelligence and come to these effective solutions. I know. I know that they're not. I know. <laughs> no, I've seen a lot of tech companies. I know that they're not like that. So I just assume that it's just a rodeo. <laughs> I mean, I'm just joking about you guys, but seriously, I'm just sitting there going, you guys, you're, you're almost like cartoon characters. Oh my fuck, it's so beautiful out here. Jesus. I mean, Moses. I mean, Apollo. I mean, Jupiter. I mean, Mercury. By Jove! Abraham. Elohim. I don't want to keep saying Jesus. It reveals too much about my upbringing. Jesus! Jesus! Well, as I'm recording, I I feel that this is going to be uh, my next episode of NFCF ACTS. It just feels, you know, relevant, more relevant than when I just start talking about what I'm doing. But I'll be talking about what I'm doing. I just uh, I'm always motivated to respond to Recode because it's just like it's like the most disappointing podcast. It's I'm like addicted to listening to it, but like I said, I'm saying. It's so weird. And I found out recently that Vox, Vox is actually, in at least one case, one of their articles, and I can assume then more, but at least in one article they said they're sponsored by the Rockefeller Foundation. I mean, it's just, I used to, I used to get like PTSD when I would, I would look into things and see the Rockefellers behind it. Cause it was just like so continual at the end of every, you know, sort of establishment position, the Rockefellers were there, and people that study the Rockefellers know this as well, but they have, like, enormous influence over many aspects of society. I mean, some of the most startling things were, like, not only the entire oil industry, but then Chase Manhattan, the American Medical Association, and then I believe, although I didn't look into it as much, uh, and maybe not precisely the American Medical Association, but they did have an enormous influence over the medical field. And then they have influence over the American Historical Association, which is also interesting. I didn't do a lot of research on that, but it's just, it's very mind-bending, of course, then to think, well, what is history? And are they telling us, you know, are they controlling history essentially by telling us what to think about what is history? And then, I mean, also, you know, it's really strange that Rockefellers subsidize Alcoholics Anonymous, but that's just more personal for me. I'm in the recovery program, but 
I studied for a while the, the ideology of the 12 steps and thought more about is it a defeatist, a defeatist ideology that serves these ruling class oligarchs. But that's like a whole other topic I don't really want to delve into. But, you know, it's important to me to understand that kind of stuff because it seems like a lot of their, a lot of their work is to um, destroy people basically. And they clearly are on record, as Vox said a couple weeks ago. They talked about their sterilization efforts against the Indians. And so uh, I've read, I, don't, I can't find a source for it, but I've read that they used to sterilize alcoholics. And so, I mean, when I'm reading this 12-step ideology, I've got to ask myself, are they trying to get me to die? And is this ideology life-affirming or life-destroying? When I say, I am powerless over alcohol, and my life has become unmanageable, am I setting myself up to fucking die? But, I mean, it's all semantical option. I mean, it really is. And, like, if you've ever been to recovery, you can find an affirming and life-empowering approach to sobriety, but on a fundamental level, it's like, I feel like they're asking you to turn your will over to something that might not exist. I don't even want to go into all the details of that, but... I mean, it is relevant to some friends and stuff. I mean, I have a lot of friends in recovery, but... I guess I was thinking more about, you know, truth. Truth, really. And that's a lot of, like, kind of subjective conjecture, which is sort of related to opinions about philosophical concepts. It's a little bit more rare. And I was thinking more about like factual data in foreign affairs and domestic and whether or not we can actually test or scrutinize the opinions of others and ask for material sources to validate the opinions. Whereas in the podcast, I don't think that they were even referring. I mean, they were referring to referring to stories that may be based in material, but I have no way of cognifying whether or not that is actually occurring. And I find that to be convenient, by the way. But I think, uh, so there's no way to really have an argument about that stuff. Hello? I mean, there just isn't. Unless I am going to be up in space looking at spy satellites behaving like Moonraker... Or if I'm on a Navy ship and I see a, a, a Chinese sub pop up. And even then, there's so much deception and propaganda in the military. Why would I ever believe an official story? God damn it. Was I paused the whole time? You know what I'll do is I'll have to stop this and find out. And then I'll just start it again and I'll have like a little ad break or a little song or something.
I think I just left out like the most, the best speech I've given today. I think I just, I must have left that all out, didn't I? Oh wait, I don't know. I'll check. Hi and welcome back. Thanks for listening to that message or that jingle, whatever the F I put in there. I'm toying with whether or not I want to make fake ads for this podcast. I may or may not. It's a goal. Uh, I did end up recording most of what I wanted to say there, and for some reason I pressed pause, and then I didn't know if I was paused or what. Or I didn't press pause. Well, back to uh, topics. I think the main topic I was bringing up is, like, whether or not, like, we can actually have conversations about facts when they relate to things like satellites and submarines and foreign and domestic policy. I mean, not only does Recode and uh, Vox and CNN, do, not only do they all have serious credibility problems that I would never necessarily believe anything they say, but of course the government is not credible either. So I wouldn't believe anything they said. Well, there's a lot of people that are like me, and a lot of people know that. And But they still might believe some fictions here and there. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it, it's all sort of inconsequential then. I feel like I just wanted to kind of shame or command a little bit and say to my opponents that you suck, basically. And it's weird to be me because I'm, like, looking for more truthers. I guess there's a bunch of truthers out there. I started listening to some other podcasts that remind me of, you know, people who actually tell the truth or try to. And, uh, you know, i got to keep a balance. So, like, I'm addicted to listening to people who are wrong, and I'm, I enjoy listening to people who are basically right, too. So I was having a blast listening to my old friend, or he's not really my friend that much, but kind of like a friendly acquaintance. And, uh, you know, he interviewed one or two of my favorite personalities, and I just found that to be a trip. So that was a blast. But, I mean, I'm skeptical of even... I don't even want to say the names, because when I'm sending this to uh, particular sources, you know, they are murderers. But, I mean, it's not like they're probably unaware of my pal and the, the other guy. I mean, they, they stack full fucking info wars against the one guy... They probably blamed him for so much. And it's not Alex Jones, by the way. I might as well just say his name, but I don't know. I'm not in the mood. I don't even want to identify sources, really, unless I want to. You know what I mean? Like, I tweeted to this uh, page, this journal, which I rarely comment on anything on the Internet anymore, but I just felt like, you know, I wanted to put my opinion out there because this one guy was being a smuck, basically. Crocodile Tears, Dundee. And uh, I tried to log into this fucking system to make this comment. It was a disaster as usual. I think I finally published it. It's so frustrating. You know, just to make a comment. I mean, that's why I like... Well, I can't say it. That's, I was going to say that's why 
I don't know. That's why the internet sucks. It's like, you know, system admins like make it difficult to comment. And then, of course, I don't know if I'm gonna be shadow banned or moderated. It's like, I don't. That's why I don't comment anymore. I'll do my speeches if I feel like I want to talk about stuff, but I won't engage with uh, public systems expecting them to show up because they are adamantly opposed to like public input. I mean, they literally fucking make it difficult to fucking comment publicly. And they'll say stuff like, and I say they, these in general are the people that don't want public comment. They'll give every kind of specious claim. Oh, it's to fight spam, or it's to fight this, it's to fight that, it's to fight hate speech, we need content moderation. So whatever they're saying, I guess I'm just kind of uh, making up the rationale, which may or may not be true, but whatever specious claim it is, essentially, is anti-public and anti-input. I don't really fucking go for publications like that. They're just fucking, they're, you know, it's just like blah. But, you know, I love to hate. I love to fucking read the shit that pisses me off, and I sort of position myself as opposed to people who are deceivers or people with limited hangout fucking info. And I challenge people that are in those systems when I can. I try to. I get them to try to think around the fucking thing, and I try to seek the truthers as well and make little clues about what's up. I used to engage in that a lot more, but since shadow banning has become such a thing, like, I just, I don't even want to do that anymore. It's a loss, and plus I'm bolstering other people's platforms and their brands. Once in a while, though, I like to try to throw out a comment, but only just because I was basically charging up my phones. I don't know, I wish that there was more communication out there. I'm looking for a good venue right now, but I'm over Web 2.0. I will say that Gab Dissenter kind of sounds like an interesting place to work. But, I don't know, Gab's kind of hard because it seems kind of like one-sided, like everybody's kind of in the same mentality, sort of. And, uh, I don't know, it's just frustrating, honestly. I like, I like to debate people. I like to try to tease people, I like to teach them. And if I'm, if people are already, like, in this mentality or it's sort of like a, a real basic conservatism that's not even really deep. I, I don't really dig commenting on those people. You know, maybe I get an apple pie recipe or something, but it's not as it's not as engaging. It's not as fun. You know, I mean, I don't know. I can talk more about that. I, I don't know what to say right now. I guess I'm kind of struggling for a topic. Plus, I'm pissed off at all this noise around here, so kind of waiting to get back to my camp. But, yeah, like I said, I'm usually just motivated by a recode presentation or something. And I like to challenge those guys. I, it keeps me motivated because I just think they're so off. Like, they're so off in so many ways. And, like, you know, maybe some of those people actually do respond to challenge or criticism. But I think they're pretty smug. You know, I like Peter Kafka a little bit, but I, I even like Kara Swisher a little bit. But... There's a, you know, at least Vox is subsidized by the Rockefeller Foundation. How extensive is that? I don't know. I never, I don't look at their books. But somebody was saying recently, holy shit. Damn, cop. Fucking trip it out. Because he's in a rush. Got to get his donuts.
Let's see, I want to cross this bitch, but I don't know where's a good place to do it. I'll just wait. Shit. Gosh, I really want to be so relevant. I mean, you know, when I'm recording, especially when I'm going to publish for that podcast, it's like, I don't want to just be like rambling and ranting about nothing all day. But, you know, who cares, honestly? If you think this is boring, fuck you, basically. Fast forward, turn it on high speed. Cut the silences. Punctuated by loud-ass fucking airplanes. That's pretty much going to be a consistent factor for the next little while. In fact, I think it gets quieter where I was camping, but maybe not. Now I feel a little more at ease. Oh, my teeth, though. Damn. So I give, I've given you the gist of, like, why I feel, like, compelled to talk. I mean, I talk anyway, but why I feel like this might be, you know, one that I publish. I try to, you know, if I'm going to publish, like, I want to talk about everything else maybe I talked about this week, but try to synthesize it down into, like, a smaller episode. Yeah, and that's not exactly what I'm trying to do because this show is kind of adversarial. I mean, it is. It's like I'm not going to be trying to give people all this good information that I've already gotten. I'm trying to tease people or whatever. I'm trying to say, fuck you. Fuck you. Like, I'm on to you guys. You, you scam artists. You scumbags. And, like, I just learned, and I don't even really want to give them the criticism. But it's like, I just learned, like, this whole mentality from one of my other favorite podcasts. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to sum it all up right now, but... Just that Recode is subsidized by Comcast, NBC Universal, and... The television systems then have a vested interest to highlight all the havoc on YouTube because YouTube is getting all the advertisers and television wants all those advertisers. So they try to, the, the vested interest or the, the benefit is then to scare advertisers away from YouTube back to television. He broke all that down in his show with his co-host, No Agenda, homeless hookers I don't remember what episode it was but I mean it was a really long discussion of the topic that was related to a lot of his personal experiences in the ad industry which I think were kind of maybe helpful to give a context to understanding what he was talking about but I don't know it kind of caused me to think about it all in a different way like I was like so why why is Vox giving so many fucks about this one guy who says, like, limperist and faggot, or whatever the fuck he says, and, and why does this matter to anybody? It's like, I can imagine, you know, in in our minds, it's like, oh, they're hyper-sensitive liberals, and, like, they're just fanatical about politically correct speech, and so they're making a mountain out of a molehill. But then, to see it from that other perspective, that they're making a mountain out of the molehill so that their interests can be served... That really fucking makes me feel 
like disappointed in Peter Kafka. I mean, I was listening to him with Susan Wojcicki, and like he he's even doing that to her. He's like, oh, if I was running a big old system like this with billions of hours of viewers, he like that would frighten me. Like I'd want to know. And I I was thinking about it last week or before I listened to that episode. I was like, you know, why is Susan Wojcicki even going to be interviewed by these people with that mentality? If I, if she knows that, which I don't even know if she does. She's kind of like walking into the lion's den of these adversarial employees of the cable networks. Kara Swisher, Peter Kafka are employees of a cable network. I mean, it's like they're saying, oh, well, you, you know, you're fucking up. Uh, can we have your advertisers back? So, yeah, I think about, like, why am I talking? Yeah, why am I talking? Better yet, can I get that water? I can use some water. I mean, there's like, for me lately, there's like two or three reasons I like to talk. One is I like to teach. Two, I want to do my personal inventory, like from the recovery mentality of, you know, reviewing my day, trying to keep focused on my sobriety. Actually, I think it's to accuse, to accuse either shill imposter journalists that should know better or who have their vested interest on a personal level in just working for who is ever cutting them a fucking crappy little paycheck or a good paycheck, I don't know, whatever. And then uh, criminals. I accuse criminals as well when I can, but especially journalists fake journalists who are working for the criminals. I mean, I don't... That's not my favorite thing to do, and I'd, I'd rather probably teach. But I'm thinking of the three main reasons I feel motivated to speak. Damn! God, that was annoying. Woo! That was a lot of fucking noise, too. Sorry. Oh, there's a beautiful moon above me. Alright, let's lay out this bed and fucking chill.
Damn, I'm fucking pissed. I'm alright, I just... Oh, I feel fucked up. Hold on a second. twisted or something. Exactly. That fucking part of my fucking chest is all fucked up. Oh, God, it's like a crazy cramp. Upset. I just feel like, you know, life's too short for all this garbage. But back to my first major statement, which is it's so weird to know the truth about 9-11 and to, like, juxtapose myself against people who don't tell the truth about 9-11. I don't know if they know it, but they're not telling the truth. And just thinking they're either just idiots or they're employed. And I think they're employed to be idiots, really. I mean, you don't go to work for those systems basically knowing this shit and then still sounding like a fucking idiot unless you're like compartmentalized or sort of like duplicitous in a way that I'm unfamiliar with so basically they're just fucking kind of smart on their topics but they're just missing something big or I, I, I don't know Peter Kafka do you understand that 9-11 was an inside job and a huge fraud Kara Swisher do you understand that 9-11 was an inside job and a huge fraud Ezra Klein, do you understand that 9-11 was an inside job and a huge fraud? You guys don't really behave like you do. It's just weird, is my point. It's just weird. So, if anybody else is listening to this and they're in the truther community, I think you could probably get my gist. It's like, fucking to basically be listening to... People that are kind of smart on their shit, they're smart, they're funny sometimes, they're, they're definitely clever on some ways, but they're just like fundamentally blowing it and missing empirical data on the, the hugest fraud of the century. One of the most important events of our lifetimes, basically, if not the most important event of our lifetime, and 
they're still surrounded by the crooks who did it, basically. Or they're in their domain, which is Manhattan. And they're, like, not apparently cognizant of what's going on, or they are. And it's just, like, fucking weird. They're not, like, necessarily, like, total disinfo shills. It's more like they're just useful idiots, or as I called them earlier, useful pseudo-intellectuals. They just, like, play their role, and they're compartmentalized, basically. I mean, strangely enough, someone gave me an essay in the beginning of my college career that it may have even referred to the Rockefellers, but I think it referred to the ruling class as a, basically a group of oligarchs who was interested in keeping us hyper-specialized without having general knowledge. And I think it was an introduction to liberal arts, essentially. I believe that the essayist, and this was something I can recall reading when I was about 19 years old or maybe 17, uh, was actually saying that the essay basically implied that the ruling class wants us to be hyper-specialized and capable of being very good at certain minute aspects of the economy without seeing the bigger picture so that they can use this as tools, essentially, and get away with basically being the ruling class. I mean, it it was a pretty incredible essay. I wish I could refer to it, but that's just what I recall about it. Enough said. I'm also not interested in, like, repeating myself, and I'm seeking to use more economy in my lessons and whatnot, because the way I see it, like, a lot of podcasts nowadays, thanks to their advertisement right there, it sounds like there was a rough figure of 700,000 podcasts. I think that's really funny. So I was like, 700,001, bitch. Because you forgot about mine. But uh, everybody else is already saying everything. So I just need to like refer to topics that are in the zeitgeist at the moment and then not even explain them. That's, I mean, anything else would be more redundant. And like I think a lot of people are more like, why don't you fill in our listeners for the shit that, like, if they don't understand, it's like, why even waste my breath? But that's kind of back to, like, why talk? And I talk uh, mainly to pass time and, um, you know, kind of do my inventory. And, I mean, I, I listen, like, why even learn these things? Why listen to these things? Well, I guess, and I just, that's kind of goes back to my adversarial relationship against Recode and Vox right now. It's like, I've been applying to their positions a few times as a senior editor or whatever, or whichever role I think that they might consider having me in. And I definitely don't think they're going to hire me. But until they do, I'm going to act as if I am their senior editor, essentially, and critique them extensively because I find myself just, like I said, addicted to them. And they're like the most representative examples, essentially, of mentality in this tech America that we find ourselves in. And I just think that, you know, it's it's a good place to start as a, as a starting point for, like, topic and to think about, like, what's really going on. But at the same time, it's almost all inconsequential. Like, is it really going to matter to me if they break up Google and YouTube or regulate Facebook? And I think the answer is no. I, I'm not even going to use any of those systems anymore. So, and I advise all people who are basically truthers to stop using those systems. They shadow ban, they censor, they're too complicated, they're basically dangerous, and we don't control them. Fuck those systems, essentially. So yeah, I have it in my interest then to cause, and most people are already cognizant, people are absolutely breaking away from Web 2.0, and I think that substantial contenders, even though they're minor in, in size right now, are emerging and everything's more decentralized and I think that's fine and good 
But, I mean, honestly, I don't even know if I believe in the truth movement anymore. And it's kind of like, well, I don't know what to say about that. It's it's sort of like where I'm at. And I also don't, I don't feel like I need to tell much truth anymore. A lot of it's, it's already been told. And, like, there's there's a full new generation of youngsters who are, like, pursuing what we call truth studies, which is a radical approach to everything that comes out of the so-called mainstream media and a deconstruction, deconstructing of it all. And I believe, I may be wrong, but I would believe that the truth movement is typically centered around empirical data. And then rhetoric that is usually anti-establishment, which kind of comes just with the terrain, because essentially we find out that the government and these media systems have been lying to us so extensively, so then we develop an anti-establishment mentality and seek awareness of what is what they're actually trying to do to us. So there's that too, which is kind of like a paradigm studies or like an analysis of why are they doing this to us and what are they trying to get us to do? But I feel like the more we drop out of their systems and like create our own and stuff, I mean, you know, that doesn't mean we're going to be safer. That might lead to a ground war. Once they stop controlling our minds, I mean, they might fucking get really hardcore. You never know. And like, you know, some things are lining up. I mean, we might have a world war. But it's like, I was thinking about it. It's like in the meantime, because like this one guy, like in Kara Swisher's interview with the CNN guy, he's like, oh, they already can hack our water supplies. China can hack our water supplies. Or whatever he said. I'm kind of mocking him. And all I could think was, I got my own water supply, bitch. I don't give a fuck. I got my own water supply. And then I'm like, do I even want to say that? I'm like, I'm good, so fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you, Olin. And your fucking gunpowder fucking grants. Fuck all you all. Fuck you. God damn it, fuck you. Man, you know what's funny, though, is like I found out recently about my hometown that it was like literally the center of the global gunpowder manufacturer right around the Civil War of America, and I was like, literally the largest gunpowder suppliers in the world. It was right up the fucking river from my fucking birthplace. And I'm like, what in the fuck? And no one ever told me this when I was growing up. No one told me that one of the most historically important manufacturing locations was literally up the fucking river from me. But I think, like, in a lot of warfare and, like, what we have in America, curriculum, public deception, essentially, like, they just, nobody was telling me the truth. I mean, maybe they told me some of that. Maybe I just never heard it. But uh, it was, I was, like, fucking amazed. But, I mean, I don't know if I think about gunpowder very much. And, like, I don't really know if I think about warfare I think about evasion, and that's just the tactic that I've adopted because I have nothing. I have no command. We have no organization. We have no restoration. We have no law enforcers. We have bureaucrats wearing badges and polyester that don't arrest the most likely suspects of 9-11. L. Paul Bremer, Larry Silverstein, Abram Sholsky, others. Um, might as well arrest Alvin Halverstein. Who's another one that usually comes to mind? Bernard Kirik. <laughs> he should be arrested and interrogated lawfully. I mean, these people are all very suspicious. And, I mean, but that's the thing. is like we don't have law enforcers that look at empirical data, or maybe we haven't had them. 
or they haven't been outspoken. And I wish that we did, and I wish that they would enforce the law, and I've been available, and I've not been recruited by any law enforcing agencies. So, I mean, I just remain sort of in this suspended awareness, like many of us in the truth movement, that we have no justice in America. And there's some really nefarious players at work, and what we have is a lot of horrific things like framing, railroading, in court, and injustice and war crimes. And then we have these pimply beneficiaries, this is my new favorite insult, these pimples on the sides of these foundations who are thought police. And just, I'm not going to get into all that anymore because it's just like, to even engage in all that hate speech debate is really disastrous. It's just like a tar baby. It's it's a mess. There's no winning that debate. The people at Vox don't even realize that they're hired to be fags to like confront somebody on fucking YouTube. So like I said, like what the guy said, it makes a lot of sense. So the the partisan, not the partisan, but the uh, hate speech politics, the back and forth, the sideshow thing. To get everybody all outraged, it's beneficial to the platforms in some ways because it increases engagement. But then it's also beneficial to establishment media because they're scaring advertisers away from the new media. So Web 2.0, though, is a trap. It's a, it's a huge trap. It's a mess. And those of us who want to tell the truth just elevate to new systems and remain decentralized and look for blockchain solutions, defeat shadow banning, and don't fall for these tricks, essentially. Just voice truth, look for empirical data, and take the bigger picture as well. And I, I say remain skeptical of all zealots, but all journalists, including myself, but seek empirical data. And we will win out, and we will find the truth. That For that, I am basically certain. And I remove myself from being ultimately feeling like zealous myself to be a missionary for truth, because... One person does not need to be the arbiter of everything that is true. Yet, in these contests, I found myself, I feel, like, opposed rhetorically only and not with physical force of any kind against these shills that basically work at Recode and Vox. And finding out that they were subsidized by the Rockefeller Foundation was something that happened after the fact. Like, I found myself kind of addicted to wondering, like, why are they kind of smart in some ways and why do I kind of like them? But they're just stupid about 9-11. And how do they exist in Manhattan where they seem to be smart, but they don't understand what's true about 9-11? Like, I couldn't figure it out, and I was just, I would always kind of wonder that in my head. But then, so when I found the Rockefeller connection later, it's like, I'm still not suggesting necessarily that they are consciously covering up 9-11, but there's just this thing, you know, people can get hyper-specialized in culture criticism or very savvy in tech or market moves and stuff, but just not understand nanothermite or not understand free fall speed of controlled demolition and or anything like that or qui bono on who were the leaseholders of these buildings or what were the larger interests at work. Like I said earlier, uh, General Motors in business with Larry Silverstein to get the leases of the World Trade Center. That happened two months before 9-11, three months it was a misprint in Snopes, actually. They said two months before 9-11 in June 2001. I was like, isn't that three months? But I memorized it backwards, so that's why I said that. But that was kind of funny, too. Snopes. Snopes is funny. But it's interesting, though, when you check on something like Larry Silverstein, and they're like, oh, well, that's half true. They don't have an outright, 
That's a false, absurdist conspiracy theory. And it's weaponized. And it had some memes around it. So we got weaponized memes and weaponized. Now it's like, this is half true. Yeah, I want to catch myself before I just spin off and just go ranting about nothing. I mean, I do enjoy ranting. I like I like to tease people. I challenge Peter Kafka to up his game and to get more real. As I've said, I Kara Swisher, but she's, she's so brain dead. She can't even think outside her own fucking lesbian brain. She's so proud of herself for being a lesbian, but she can't even think. If I challenge her to investigate WTC7, Solomon Smith Barney, Larry Silverstein, Nanothermite, Project for the New American Century, and Operation Northwoods, she's not going to do that. I've heard her at work when she was challenged by the rise of Bitcoin and blockchain. She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't care. I don't even want to know. I don't care. I don't even want to know. That's just one of those, you know, I don't know how you'd classify a person like that, but they're not free thinking. They're set in their ways, and they're just not seeking to investigate something that's a challenge to their either their belief system or the structure that they are associated with. She's not interested in decentralized finance. She doesn't see the establishment financial powers necessarily as a problem that should be disintermediated. Apparently she has, and now I know, she has connection to those established institutions. She's got no reason to think that she might want Bitcoin or blockchain or whatever or crypto. So she doesn't want to know about that stuff. According to her, that was her thing. I don't even care. I don't even want to know. I don't know. It's just like these things, they bug me, but it's like, I guess, again, I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to analyze, like, why do I keep listening to these people? And it's like, I, I like to get angry, I guess. I like to see the opponents. I like to see their side of it and, like, the kinds of logic or logical fallacies that they use to bolster their points. I like to analyze the biases, and I like to find out, ultimately, like, what are the what are their financial inputs? And why, how does that affect their paradigms? And are they conscious or are they unconscious of their shortcomings? To me, it's just like media studies. And media studies, I think, can benefit anybody who's in journalism. And I almost feel like, well, you know, I've, I'm, I'm improving my skills as a journalist. And, I mean, I sort of, I would love to have someone scrutinize my work and tell me what's what I'm missing. But I don't have engagement like that right now. So I just kind of do my own self-investigation, which is imperfect. And I go ahead and do what I'm doing. But So with that being in mind, I mean, with all that being said then, I guess I've, I've seen a benefit for why I you know, remain adversarial and kind of am interested in these people, even though I dislike their output. Speaking of output, you can't do that on your show, can you? So, um, yeah, I was thinking, like, is there anything else important? But... Sure, you know, but importance is like a subjectively concluded definition then of what is to be valuable or what is to be investigated more or what is to be told as opposed to maybe what is trivial or inconsequential. Uh, yeah, I think I'd like to change the topic. And remind you, or I'll remind you that if you're listening, that I'm basically just wasting time right now. I mean, sometimes I'm more motivated to speak Sometimes I'm less motivated to speak. I'm just sitting here. I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. 
But um, maybe I can bring out the uh, podcast player and I can listen to some new inputs. Or I could talk about other things that I think are kind of important, but I'm actually I'm thinking about this topic right now, and uh, I don't almost want to bring it up because I feel like I'm substantiating a certain brand of a certain podcast. But I mean, that's mostly what I do on my show anyway, is talk about OPP, other people's podcasts. And what else am I going to do? What else am I going to do? Did I talk to anybody in the real world today? Let's see. I think I, I think I did. I think I talked to someone. But it's like my life is just boring. I mean, I had an interesting day kind of, but only only in just the most mundane ways. I don't think it would be very interesting to anybody. But, yeah, what I did is I went to the ocean and I washed up because I have to take a flight and I have no clean clothes. So I washed up my clothes and um, I got out of the ocean and I was like, okay, I did my job. And I was just amazed at how I fell asleep, like, right after that. Like, I went to sit on a picnic bench. And then afterwards, I went to, I was like, I got to lay down. And I lay down next to a palm tree. And uh, shortly thereafter, I leaned over, and I was just like, I got to go to sleep. And I was just, I just was knocked out. And I just, I couldn't even imagine why. Why I was, uh so tired because I hadn't even been tired but I guess maybe just swimming around the ocean got me really tired I mean I didn't swim that much but I did a little bit of oh and the water felt so good and I was just thinking about the Atlantic and how I'm going back to the Pacific it's going to be way colder but the Atlantic is so nice this is the first time I've really been in that's the first time I've ever been in the Atlantic Ocean ah <sighs> And it's, it's been nice to be here, but I'm so, so excited about getting out of here. <clears throat> and I'm about to leave in less than 48 hours, about 36 hours, I guess. And I think I have everything together, and uh, so I'm just camping by the airport so that I can, uh, you know, be ready to go. I have to take an early morning flight on Thursday. And, um, yeah, that's about, I'm wrapping up my time in Fort Lauderdale. And I'm a little freaked out about some things, but like the, I read the newspaper here today because I was in the library, and they let a murderer out of jail on accident. There's this big story on it, and I'm like, oh my god! And I got paranoid about it too. I'm like, oh my god! I was like, they let this guy out so he could come kill me. And I mean, I'm looking at this fucking blanker, and I'm looking at this dude, and I'm like, okay, it looks like every other blanker around here. I'm like, am I going to be able to tell this guy apart from every, every other blanker that looks exactly like this guy? And it's like at the very end, they had this Jew, of course. There's always some Jew in the middle of government. It's either a Rosenstein, in this case it was a Finkelstein. The guy's all, Henry Finkelstein said, well, the sheriff's department should stop making excuses for who made the mistake here, and like next time they should really make sure this doesn't happen again, basically is what he was saying. Because there was like some kind of administrative error that they released this guy, even though he'd been charged twice. They dropped charges on one thing, and they were supposed to hold him without bond on the other. But apparently, according to the story, like nobody got the memo or something. And so it also said that they're not supposed to release a prisoner unless there's a direct order to release, which didn't seem like it was there. I don't know how all that works, but something seems kind of fishy about this, which is partly why I got paranoid about it. But at the very end of the article, Henry Finkelstein's going, 
Well, the, the sheriff's department should stop, stop shifting blame and just make sure this doesn't happen ever again. And then he's all, I think it said, it either quoted him or it said, or the journalist said, and Finkelstein advises the man to turn himself in. <laughs> he's just out there. <laughs> like he's going to pick up the article. He's all, he reads it, he's all, hmm, I should turn myself in, huh? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're right. Oh, it's just funny. I mean, god damn it, a fucking murderer is out on the loose. And they, I mean, it's just like, oh my god. And that's the thing about this county, which I think is funny. I might like to talk about it a little more after I get out of here, but this county, for the conspiracy researchers out there, is, is known for having a lot of, like, patsies, like, having passed through here. I think Miami-Dade is kind of a funny county, too, because there's been a lot of well, election issues, I think, or at least, you know, there's a major, uh, the hanging chad thing, I think that all happened down in Miami-Dade. But Broward is known, I think one of the 9-11 hijackers was here. Um, I think the shoe bomber might have been here. And definitely David Hogg presents the St. Valentine's Massacre of uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which is a very suspicious event. That happened here. And so it's just been weird. I mean, Fort Lauderdale doesn't seem that strange. It just seems like a nice, relaxing kind of yachting town. Everybody has a boat, and I was hanging out by the river. But Broward County itself seems twisted. And, like, the one thing I noticed, like, in the downtown was, like, how everything's such a mess down there. Like, there's, like, all this construction going on, and then, like, roads are half shut down. And then there's the drawbridges, which are confusing and... Everything's just so weird, and, like, I mean, looking at the the buildings down there, like, everything seems a little bit, like, well, I was going to say Kafka-esque, but just, like, confusing, like, that there's... And I thought to myself, I'm like, what would, what would cause, like, such a confusion? And maybe that was just my... I might be wrong, but that's just the impression I got of the place. I'm like, wow, this place doesn't seem like it's managed right. And I travel a lot, too, so I've seen a lot of places... But it just seemed, like, really kooky. Like, everything was, like, there'd be, like, traffic cones in front of the courthouse, and, like, the road was, like, half destroyed, and then there's, like, other concrete blockers, and it's just, like, it was like a war zone down there. It was just, like, everything was messed up, and then there's new construction going on, and everything was, like, I'd have to walk, like, a zigzag just to get anywhere, or at least when I first got that. Well, anyway, and then I was thinking about all those patsies and stuff, and I'm like, what would make Broward County so strange? By the way, I remembered uh, Roger Stone lives here, too. Not that that's related to what I'm saying, but... Um, I was originally trying to seek um, stipends or donations to kind of fund my own journalism so I could come and interview someone like Roger Stone or maybe even investigate Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which I wouldn't want to walk into unless I was, like, backed by a bunch of people. Uh, even then I wouldn't want to do it, but... Because, yeah, there's definitely something shady going on there. I'm pretty certain. I mean, there's been some major reports about... I'm uh, Not major reports, but... Let's put it this way. There's been some major accusations about... Kevin Hogg, FBI agent, being related to some school shooter, virtual shooter training video thing, system. And I don't know if that's true, but, I mean, if true... Those would be incredible allegations and an incredible, incredible conflict of interest, of course. But what I think is definitively 
jarring about that event is that one of the instructors, I've seen him on video, said that a school shooting drill was scheduled for that day. And that alone is a major problem with the official story. If a school shooting drill was scheduled that day, according to this instructor of the school, that alone should cause anybody to have skepticism about what actually happened. What happened? What happened? That's the question. What happened? Not what did they say happened. What happened? But, you know, I don't want to go all into truth mode and stuff. I mean, like I said, there's there's plenty of people out there researching and stuff, but I'm just, like, concerned about the mixtures of, like, why then was David Hogg hanging out with Joshua Topolsky? Like, why is that a thing? Why is that a thing? How is that a thing? If David Hogg's mom works for CNN and Joshua Topolsky is just, like, in a bankrupt journalist outlet that seems to be shifted from owner to owner, like, why does he have that connection? Like, why does that happen? And is there anything going on there? I mean, what what are the relationships, you know, between CNN and these Jews, these communist Jews up there? And I mean, I'm not saying Topolsky's a commie Jew, but he's kind of a commie Jew. I mean, he kind of is. So it's like, you know, what is it all about? Like, I mean, it's it's interesting, but it's also just kind of disgusting. So I don't know how interested I am ultimately in the micro politicking of which journalist is a commie and which journalist is just a shill, or like, are they aware of their relationship to the foundations and are they aware of the, you know, the aims of the foundations in the past? And you know, are these things are they still doing? I mean, is is Rockefeller still trying to depopulate? Or is it just like, are they trying to make up for their past of depopulation? I mean, it's just like, how relevant is that to anything, really? I mean, they're fucked. They're fucked. Everything about those systems are fucked. I mean, are they still fucked? Are they more fucked than they were? Or are they less fucked than they were? Or are they equally fucked as they ever were? That's, I mean, what the fuck is my fucking question? But that's a question for Peter Kafka to answer, or Kara Swisher, or Ezra Klein, or Joshua Topolsky. How fucked are those systems? Are they still trying to depopulate? And which Rockefellers are still alive? Are they pulling strings? Are they mean? Are they murderous? Are they more reserved? Were they ever murderous? Did John Rockefeller Jr. order the Pinkertons to shoot those people at that one protest? Or was it something that the executives of Standard Oil just signed off on and then maybe it was just a sad thing that he then apologized for? I mean, was he murderous or was he sort of out of the loop? You know, I mean, I don't know. Was David Rockefeller gleeful when he laughed about watching the Twin Towers collapse? Or was he senile? I don't know. But as I've said to you guys, and you probably don't remember, I don't know, because it could have been anywhere, David Rockefeller is on video laughing about the Twin Towers collapse. Collapsing as he watched them from his window. I mean, he looked like he was laughing with glee. As he said, it was hard to imagine that what he saw was actually happening. And he had a smile on his face. I mean, that is suspicious. Maybe he was senile, maybe he was demented, or maybe he was 
murderous. Maybe he didn't even know what was actually happening. I've wondered. Because I don't know who shot that documentary of him and whether or not he even knew. Imagine that he was in a reality tunnel that was so deep that he thought that those buildings were finally demolished, but he didn't even realize that people were in it. What if these oligarchs are so far removed from their operators that they're in their own reality tunnels and they don't even really know what's going on? I mean, things like that could be happening theoretically, but Rockefeller, David Rockefeller now is dead. And that video happened maybe five, ten years ago. Ten years ago, I think. It's a very suspicious interview. So is the interview of David, uh, Larry Silverstein, though. Well, we thought the smartest thing to do was pull it. So all I'm saying is how can these New York Jews not be smart enough to know this shit? Or do they know it and are they in on it? Are they willful accomplices of these mass murderers? And are they willfully covering up for them and seeking to distract us and keep us mired in these gender politic debates that are absolutely maddening and you can't win? Those are That's a good question, and that's a frightening question as well. These people could be willing accomplices after the fact of a mass murder that is unlike anything we ever saw in America. I wouldn't want to accuse without proof... But that is a good fucking concern. That is an important concern. And I would, I mean, I would warn every Gentile to watch out for these people. But I would also warn the Jews to watch out for their more murderous, satanic acquaintances in their fucking, in the city. But, you know, because I don't know who's who. And it's just, it's a devastating, like I said, it was at the beginning of this recording. It's weird. It's weird to be me. It's weird to know all this stuff and then to listen to these people just acting like so blandly and apparently somewhat intelligent, yet not very cognizant or at least not honest about their cognizance. So it's almost like uh, I have my own cognitive dissonance on this instance. How can they be smart enough to say such clever things but not understand 9-11? But see, in the long history for me personally of knowing a lot of smart Jews... I believe they have an ethnic self-centered bias. Often, the Jews that I meet, they're incapable of realizing, once I tell them, that the Jews did 9-11. Except for in some cases. One of my best friends, he, he'd listen to basically everything I said, because I think he knew I was the authority of the topic. And he was not incapable of recognizing that some Jews were murderous. But other Jews, that, some of his friends and others that I met, they just couldn't even handle it. They couldn't even handle that I was telling them that Arabs were framed and that the buildings were blown up from the inside. They, one of them had to hysterically stop me from talking. He had to kind of yell at me. And he was an employee of Goldman Sachs. So the way I see it is that to me is like more likely that a lot of Jews in New York maybe just don't even get it. But then maybe some of them do and they're such nihilists or they're so just ethnically biased that they can just tolerate this sort of fact that Jews got away with murdering 3,000 people on 9-11, framing the Arabs, and they're not going to do anything about it, either out of fear or out of a willing obedience and allegiance to their ethnicity, which is in control of America. I think that's, I mean, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about it. That's why, maybe that's another reason I'm so, like, addicted to listening to Jews out of New York and just wondering... I don't know. Oh, speaking of which, I got a good topic.
Let's switch to uh, Jason Burmis because a lot of the original 9-11 truthers came from New York. I mean, I don't know how it all started because I caught on to it a couple or few years after. It was about 2004 before I started really thinking that 9-11 was an inside job. But, like, looking back, that was only three years. But that was three years where I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I mean, I had a few suspicions about the event, but I had no context like when they told us that the put options were placed against the American Airlines or whatever, I was like listening to the news. I remember watching the TV and I was only 21 years old. I wasn't the smartest person in the world, but I was like, and maybe someone else prompted me to say the same thing, which is just find out who did that and you'll find out who did 9-11. I mean, maybe some host said that. Well, you know, it was Michael Rupert who pointed to the fact that it may have been Buzzy Krongard who actually placed those bets. And for more on Buzzy Cronger, do your own research. I don't know much about the guy. I don't know anything about the guy. He's a war profiteer, basically. But, yeah, I mean, it's like the truth is known about 9-11 in so many ways, but no justice. And in the meantime, I'm like, why is there no justice? And then who are these Jews talking about some dumbass shit like, oh, my God, he called me a gay Mexican. Oh, my God, he called me a gay Mexican. Like, this is important. What a joke. What a fucking joke. And all these homosexuals with their lifestyle things hanging out. I liked what Glenn Greenwald said. I don't think I'd ever seen an actual video of the guy. I've heard him as, like, a highly regarded journalist. Some, maybe some people hate him. I thought, I mean, the people that I listen to think he's good. But I liked what he said when he was on Tucker Carlson about the whole thing. Like, he gets a lot of even worse anti-gay rhetoric from the political party where he lives in this South American country with his husband who's a politician but he would never ask someone to censor that speech but I mean it's just like it's just so interesting how they can turn this one this one guy who's anti-gay against the Vox employee who's like uh, and like it's like everybody's talking about it but like I said it's just it's so distracting and there may be a, a reason for them to try to you know, shake advertisers off of YouTube because they want more advertisers in and going back to television. Meanwhile, television is dead to me. YouTube is dead to me. Fuck YouTube. Fuck YouTube. YouTube's toast. YouTube's toast. So where am I going to find the truth? And I ask you to follow with me and search for what is true. Empirical data and the context in which it is found and history that is relevant and consequential related to important threats to our life. That's what is important, essentially. That's my definition of what is important. And to avoid the frivolous, largely, or think of it after, in our spare time, if it's entertaining, but not distracting from what is ultimately important. That is like my editorial position, essentially. Sure, I mean, I like the gossip column and I like the bickering once in a while but after like everything else is in order and if things are not in order and these liars are foisting gossip and bickering to the forefront of course I would say to the truthers then be quite suspicious and to the ones who are foisting that fucking gossip and that bickering to the forefront shame on you shame on you Peter Kafka and Ezra Klein you're almost like an inbred weird Jew do you even realize what the fuck you're doing, bro? And all you faggots at fucking Vox, 
Do you realize the fuck that you're wasting people's time? 9-11 was an inside job. Jews killed 3,000 people on that day. They framed Arabs. The real racism is against the Arabs. They've been being murdered for almost 20 years. All for Israel. You should be ashamed of yourselves to call yourselves journalists. Each and every gay one of you. Get real. Defend the true victims. Analyze your own institutions, you strange, weird, fucking avant-garde of the old fucking cable systems. You are pimples on the system that deceives the rest of us. Useless. Quit your fucking job. Go indie. Your foundational grants are being used against the rest of us. You're living off fucking grants from people who were trying to exterminate other people. And maybe they still are. And you know it sometimes. That's the worst thing. It's fucking incredible. And using specious... Maybe that's the improper use of the word. Using this fucking worry about hate speech and the minute fucking identity political... You guys are like turning a college classroom inside out and bickering in public about shit that's inconsequential has no effect upon life and death okay yeah in some cases hate crimes might lead to one or two deaths once in a while maybe you can cite better statistics but did it kill 3,000 people on 9-11 did it lead to the deaths of how many thousands of service people that went to die in the desert for oil? Did it lead to the death of hundreds of thousands, essentially, of Arab, innocent Arab people? No, it didn't. Fuck your hate crime bullshit. It's inconsequential in relationship to the war crimes that are surrounding us and have not been addressed or justified. You should be ashamed of yourself. God damn it. I mean, I don't really like getting all outraged about it all, but to contextualize, it's like, man, that's what I'm saying. These people, they're so fucking lame. And they're smart enough to be smarter, but they're not behaving appropriately. They're useful idiots. They've been brought in to accelerate the fucking dysfunctional intercourse, or discourse, excuse me, that was almost like a Freudian slip. The dysfunctional discourse that we're having in America, it's just, I think it is part of Jade Helm. I mean, there's a lot to be said about, like, what is accelerationism right now and who is actually causing it? And, I mean, I overlooked a lot of that after Christchurch, but the terminology, actually, Alex Jones referred, or Millie Weaver, I think, referred to some kind of declassified or dumped what looked like declassified info war, not the brand, but... They're literally trying to cause chaos and accelerate divisiveness amongst us and just basically promote chaos and radical demagogues on either side, essentially. And I mean, I, I didn't see the source of that, but it was very intriguing. And I was like, man, I mean, and I call it Jade Helm, but I might be calling it the wrong thing. I, I call all the fake race war, I just call it Jade Helm. Uh, now, that's just my way of calling it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what Jade Helm really was, but 
there were hints along the way that it was going to be fake race war and accelerated, you know, divisive, divide and conquer techniques. And we've seen a lot of that. And I don't want to cite all the examples. You probably remember them. I don't even want to give them more power by referring to those topics anymore because it's a lost cause to debate their merits when they're like sinkholes. They're like total fucking traps and wastes of time. And they confuse the fuck out of us and they make us hate each other. That's the fuck what is apparently being tossed into us, these events. But, yeah, like Jesse Smollett. It's just like, what the fuck happened there? Because it's so confusing. The more you look at it, it's like there's like three different versions of it. And they're all weird. Charlottesville, another example. There's there's two sides to that story. One is, you know, people were breaking in his windows with baseball bats. He never got a fair trial. He may have been trying to escape to get away from a mob. Regardless of what his ideology was, he may have just been simply trying to escape a riotous crowd who was attacking him. But, I mean, oh, God, there's just so many examples of that. And I call them all, I just call it all Jade Helm. Fake race war, accelerationism, real race war, framing, cloud war, there's a meme war going on. I mean, anyway, after all, though, I'm, I'm not feeling much of it, except I fear that I'll be framed. I fear that by even having opinions about it, like I'm sticking myself back in the middle of it. And I don't, you know, I really question whether or not I want to do that. But I also kind of feel like everything's so decentralized. Maybe I'm so inconsequential that I won't be targeted. But yeah, I fear that I'll get fucking wrapped up in some bullshit or framed. Or like I said, I fear that they let this guy out. I didn't really fear that, but it crossed my mind. They let this guy out so he can come kill me. The other day I was looking at my phone and I'm getting this Amber Alert on my browser of all places. Top of my browser, I used Bing recently. I'm not using Google very much anymore. And they're showing me this Amber Alert of this guy that looks like a thug. Total fucking criminal looking guy. And I'm like, they're showing me this adult male, black, and he's looking, he has this menacing face and it's all Amber Alert. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. What the hell is this? Well, they allege that this kid was like 16 years old. He looked almost like an adult. He looked like a criminal. It looked like I was looking at a mugshot. And uh, he had a very unhappy face on his face. He wasn't smiling in the picture. So, yeah, he looked like a criminal, and it did look like a mugshot. And it said that he was, like, kidnapped by some other guys who were older than him. Well, I just thought that was really strange. I'm like, this is an Amber Alert, and you're telling me about this shit? Why are you telling me about this shit? It was just suspicious. It got me fucking weirded out. And I'm like, man, are they going to put this guy in my face too? Man, I just it's just been weirding me out though. But like all this trip, I just keep waiting for people to, you know, I've had a lot of aggressive guys come up to me and some strange circumstances. But yeah, I'm paranoid, but I'm like, I'm not even, I don't even really consider myself a journalist anymore of consequence. I just... Like, the truth movement, it's like, there's people out there, so many people are telling the truth, like, I almost just wonder, like, why I even listen to any of the commies anymore, it's just, but it's kind of fun, it's kind of fun to listen to them, tell their bullshit, and then, you know, listen and try to find the truth tellers, and sometimes the guys who are telling the truth really aren't that deep, you know, and like, sometimes they're, they're kind of on to some shit, but then they're not really on to all the shit. And that's unsatisfying, too. And I'm just like, man, even Alex Jones is not like 
like really floating my boat anymore. And I'm like, I'm looking for a real authoritative person to like kind of help me with the the real info war and help me understand like what's really going on. And it's hard to find sometimes. So I listened to a ton of sources essentially, and I was actually uh, I downloaded one of my old um, inspirations. He's a really incredible. Well, he's a scientist, and um, there's a few others in the 9/11 Truth movement that I really looked to to like really confirm like what is true. And uh, don't even really want to cite their names right now, just because again, like we're basically in an info war and people get killed. I think they're well known, but I just I don't really like to identify people I care about anymore because it's just like it just doesn't seem like a good practice, honestly. But I'm a little bit paranoid, but uh Let's check out some Jason Burmis. I just, I don't know how, oh, I went to 9-11 Blogger, because I, I was trying to find a little more, go back to some old uh, 9-11 sources and try to find some updates and stuff. So I got an update from one of my favorite scientists. He's a brave man. But then um, on 9-11 Blogger, I saw this Jason Burmis, and he was discussing Dark Overlord, which I remember that name. That's the, I think it's a fake name of a fake hacker who was related to the HBO thing. So, um, like everything that HBO says about getting hacked, I think it's all false. The Sony hack was false, as far as I'm concerned. The HBO hacks are false marketing stunts, essentially. And uh, whatever the Sony thing was, it was a fact. It was a fucking fake, basically. But uh, that's my opinions. I mean, I, more information might persuade me to see a different point of view. But I heard one guy talk about how the timeline of all the events of the Sony hack was not right basically and he I think he was former FBI but he was authoritative he sounded like he was telling the truth I don't know for sure I'm just saying what I begin to think you know I can't find out all truth about everything but I start to make assumptions after a while I start to when people lose credibility when sources become that they've demonstrated a, an ability to deceive or lie I see them as deceivers, and then so if more allegations sound substantial against them that they've deceived in a different way, I tend to start assuming, which, you know, I can't say, like, I'll just say that upon maybe further information, I'll change my mind, but until then, I have my own opinions about what may be true, and that's what I think about HBO hack, I think it's fake, so I think Dark Overlord is probably fake, I joke or something and say it's probably Natasha Leone faking her own views or laundering some Holocaust reparations fraud through Netflix or something. Oh, yeah, she's Netflix and not HBO. I'd say some other shit to reference all the study I've done and all the fraud I've seen. But, uh, you know, it's like, where's my receptive audience? When do I get backing? When do I get an attorney? When do I get law enforcers behind me who start listening to me? Otherwise, I'm just whistling in front of the deceivers and, you know, putting myself at risk for no good reason. I don't even have an audience. Oh, I got him on my other phone, damn it. I don't know. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just press stop here and listen to an interlude and maybe a commercial. 
and then I'll come back with the other um, file. I'll Bluetooth it over to this one, and I'll process the whole podcast tomorrow probably. I'm kind of learning how to use the next system. As um, it, it sucks, it publishes two days slow, and it doesn't even rank my podcast through search. But uh, I like publishing it anyway because it gives a platform that is just um, widely dispersed to, to other platforms. Um, let me see. So I got check out my other phone and see if I have that clip. It'll be interesting for me anyway. What's actually in the Dark Overlord, oh, Dark Overlord files featuring Jason Burmis coming up next? Alright, what did I do today? Well, the funnest thing I just did was exchange my money. Yeah! I walked up with my 50 Nuevo Solis. He took one look at it and he was like, I got you. <laughs> and then he exchanged me. He catch me outside. Um, ugh, so I got 11 bucks and some change. That was good. I mean, considering the exchange rate was on Google, it said I was going to get 14.95. I mean, that's pretty good for something that I found on the ground. And I didn't have no questions asked, by the way, and no ID. I was fairly presentable, but I don't look very... I look pretty crazy looking. But, uh, there was no, no problem. Which I love, and, and that was one of the things I wanted to travel and enjoy, was like, foreign exchanging. Even with, uh, transaction fees, you know, I don't, I don't mind. I mean, that's part of it. It's like, to, even to calculate... I tried to guess how much they took. There was a service fee of 95 cents or so, and then... I think they reduced it about 20%. Or 15, 15 or 20, probably about, uh, maybe even 17%. But uh, somewhere probably between 15 and 20. I could do the math again, but just kind of calculated it. It wasn't 10%, because that would have been 13 and a half, and I was down to 12 and a half or so, so before the service fee, so that would have been like about 15%. I don't know, probably 17%. Now I'm obsessed with it, fuck. I, I'm really bad at doing percentages. I can do them in my head. Uh, like a 10% I can do, but I can't, I don't know the formula. I still don't know the formula for doing percentages. being in fifth grade and we were in advanced math it's about seven of us seven of us in this class and I think we were like there was an event everybody most of the smart kids were in most of the regularly smart kids were in this regular math like one grade above <coughs> but we were all in like two grades above so we were the really smart kids I don't know how the fuck I was in that class, but I was. Which gets me always thinking the kind of, you know, when I think back to things like that and that I got 99 top percent of uh, PSAT, I just think about how, you know, 
I used to be think, seen as smart, and then I went to the top public university. You know, I mean, those things seem to be indicators that I'm smart, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm still smart or that I'm really smart, and it's one form of smart, or a few forms of smart. Book smart. But, you know, I'm not very good with engines. Then again, I'm good at getting on engines and not having to fix them. But there's people out there that are way better getting on engines than me. And those are the people I'm kind of trying to copy right now. I'm like, why am I so... Why can't I, you know, get shit going the way I want to get it going? <sighs> but at least I don't have to talk like a fag all the time. And act like a total fag all the time. I think that's like one of my biggest successes, really. And I, if I want to act like a fag, I can. Although it's a little harder to pull off, I guess. To be a fag and then not a fag. Wow. That was unreal. Yeah, driving the smart carts. Oh, my teeth are already starting to hurt. Well, I was going to finish up my boarding pass thing, but um, I kind of want to get the fuck out of the airport and go to the library instead. Actually, you know what? No, I should stay here and do it because... Yeah, I should stay here and do it, just in case. I was just having a... getting sick of sitting there. I have some other things to say, but... Yeah, I just uh, hung out in the library, charged up my phones, charged up my earbud. But I was getting tired of being there. I don't need to rush on this thing, but... I kind of just don't want to be standing here anyway, so... I'll go, I guess I'll just go sit somewhere else. I want to give a speech right now, but I guess I'll just wait until I'm done with my boarding pass thing, and then, then I'll walk out. <clears throat> yeah, it should only take a few minutes. listen to some podcasts on the way, but my phone took a shit. It was at like 17%. Look in the bag, it's fucking on, and now it's down to 3%. That's okay. You know, I think the best thing I could do for myself is find a thrift store and buy some buy a pair of pants so that I don't have to worry about these piss-smelling fucking shorts I'm wearing. But besides that, I mean, I think I'm not really worried about it, honestly. In fact, I almost feel just more comfortable as is. Everybody dresses like me at the airport anyway, so I look kind of like a funky goon. Everybody looks like a funky goon. Everybody looks like a hip-hop cartoon character. 
Or most of the young people, anyway. But yeah, I'm just, uh, whatever. I woke up this morning and, um, I don't really think this is going to be for the podcast that I make, but maybe. Uh, I woke up this morning and actually it's kind of interesting, you know. I mean, I like, it's interesting to me. Foreign exchange is always interesting to me. Changing money. That's like, I mean, for me, traveling, like, all I wanted to do, I know this sounds really strange, but like, well, I'm not in a foreign country, but. Foreign exchange and airports and being in airports, you know, and like charging up my phones and using the phones to like get shit done. That's, that's it. But I mean, it's funny though, cause like I found that money on the ground. But if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But it wasn't enough to buy a ticket or anything, but it was enough to, you know, I don't know, to get green, clean green money out of the fucking dude that works. It's like, I find that to just be so interesting. To just like command, not even command, but suggest, because I didn't know if he was going to take the, the, the bill or not. But to suggest, and they make their money off the exchange because they gave me like a lesser rate. But it's just an interesting procedure. And then I come out with some crisp fiat money of... Federal Reserve that I've never seen before, and it's just, it's nice money. And I found a dime. I don't know. It's just interesting to me. I would like to see the future of my world be experiences like that, like more and more and more. And I mean, I'm grateful to my mom and my sister for helping me get this flight, but I definitely would have wished to have achieved it on my own. It was just getting to be kind of shitty, and I'm afraid of hurricanes. So I gotta forgive myself, but I mean, I would have made it happen if I didn't have a mom and a sister some other way. It's just that I, you know, in my in my fantasy of ex- expectations of how I will be traveling around the world and stuff, that I don't want that to ever have to come into play, really. But it, it came into play once again. Fortunately, this time it wasn't like a huge cost. It was only two hundred bucks. Ugh. But I was just like not making money through the web. And I'm afraid of labor. I didn't have the right shoes. Still don't have the right shoes. So, yeah, I think for me, the future of travel is like, I've got to make good, clean money, stock it the fuck up, and make sure I have a return ticket. I mean, I'm just, otherwise, I'm just coming out into nowhere and fucking losing everything. And getting more and more desperate, like, at the end of my rope, basically. But but I did get good spending power when I got food stamps. It's just I didn't get good spending power when I did not get fucking welfare. And I thought, oh, I'll just work a couple days. And, yeah, but I didn't have any shoes. You know, and my back was fucked up. My asshole was blown out. You know, I was, I was messed up. And, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I lament like against myself, I just feel like I'm engaging in some kind of privilege that the ordinary person couldn't engage in, therefore it's like invalidated. But you know what, honestly, most people that do podcasts and shit, they get all kinds of benefits from people and probably from parents and stuff and they probably have a lot of money. I mean, I'm maybe I'm exhibiting like less luxury than most people.
Obviously, the way I live is less luxurious than most people. Very less luxurious. Very less luxuriously. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, I woke up this morning grumpy just because my, uh, whatchamacallit didn't go off. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll skip the other file that was on the other phone. I'll just make this part of the podcast and I'll tell the story again. Not like it's that exciting, but my fucking alarm didn't go off. I was pissed. Actually, that was a funny segment. Because then I started playing the... Maybe I will put that in. Well, it doesn't really matter, honestly. I'm just thinking about little optional instances of, like, what's what's good and what's bad for a show. Oh, speaking of that, which is more interesting, so I probably will add that, because it's completely optional. But, like, I have to uh, decide, I guess, if I'm going to publish, in order to decide, like, what are my limits? Like, here's a good example. I'm thinking about adding a reference to some funny clips that my friend made, and... <laughs> Uh, he's he's a really funny dude. He was like one of my main influences when I grew up as a kid. Because I grew up and he was five years older than me. And he was like really smart and really funny. And he was really good at music. And so he basically taught me how to be a musician. Before I even knew what that was. And um, so it's so funny. Every once in a while I'll check up on him on the internet and... He, he's got this funny video that's uh, about one of his nieces, I guess. He made this funny song about her her cheeks, because her cheeks are so cute. And uh, I just, it was fucking funny. But um, I'm like, do I need to add that into my podcast? It's, it's kind of like a, a family-oriented thing. And, and then there's a different video that I looked at that is uh, us when we were kids, which I, I was looking for again, because... We started making movies when we were 10, and, like, this is one of the only surviving movies from that era where my fr- my his younger brother, who's, like, my best friend, like, or one of my best friends, and I, like, we made a video when we were about 10 or so, or 12. Maybe we were 14, but... No, I think we were, like, 10 or 12. And it's just, it's funny. It's just, like, one of those kids' movies that kids make, you know? <laughs> I didn't watch the whole thing yet, but I watched it a couple of years ago when he put it up on YouTube. And it was just, you know, it was impressive. It was just to take us back, take us back to that time and remember, like, what we were like when we were 10 and we are just making movies for fun. And to see, like, you know, our personalities then and contrast them maybe to, like, how we are today. And of course, I'm still making movies. Nobody else really is, but... It's kind of a little sad, too. I mean, I was looking on Facebook at, at this family that I grew up with. They're a big family, really big family. Unlike my family, it's really small. But, um, and they all got married, and they all had kids, and it's just like, ah, oh, man, I feel so left out. Like, I, I almost got sad about it. I was like, I mean, I did get sad about it. I was like, I wish I was in that family. But it never really, like, worked out for me. I had a crush on the girl who was my age for a long time, but she married somebody else. And it was just too awkward, I guess, because who knows? I don't think she really... I don't know. That would have been, like, my my idea of how to get into that family. 
not that that was my goal, but I had a crush on this girl. I was just really into her, but, you know, that passed over time, and then it was just like, well, you know, I just felt like a step-cousin. A step-cousin or something. Yeah, I kind of want to change the topic back to this other funny thing. I downloaded this podcast, and it's these funny valley girls. And I'm like, I've been looking forward to listening to this podcast because they sound so funny. They're like, I'm Ashley Tiffany. I'm blah 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 I'm... Oh, it's so funny. I mean, I don't want to make fun of them too hard because they're young, but then again, they're, I started listening to one of them, and they're like making fun of anonymous troll accounts. They're like, we like anonymous troll accounts. We like anonymous accounts, just not the ones that are anonymous trolls. And it's so funny. And they're like, we don't like the political ones that say, make America great again. No, we only like the ones that are funny, that we like. <laughs> it's just so funny. And I'm like, it feels like a direct attack against me because I've been anonymously trolling that whole brand, like, hard for about two years. And they're like, yeah, we're not talking about whistleblowers. No. Ugh. Oh, we're talking about the funny ones that we like. You know, the ones that are doing it for followers. Yeah. <laughs> and they have the total vocal fry to They're like, yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about whistleblowers. So it's just funny. Like, I can gather the whole, you know, thing that allows the system to favor young girls like that that are doing it that way, obviously, instead of people that are doing it for substantial reasons or talk about anonymity for any national security purpose or security of the populace purpose. It's just more propaganda, really. Speaking of useful idiots... Yeah, it's a vulnerability. I've always been, you know, when I was young, I hate to say this, but I was really trying to discard any white privilege I had by giving up any luxury and just being like, okay, I'm like, I gave it all up and uh, I'm working for anti-racism and peace. Recently, by the way, my version of anti-racism is trying to end a war that is genocidal against Arabs and not so concerned with boozy-ass token representatives of certain color groups in America. Everybody here is privileged compared to the people that are being bombed for things they didn't even do. God damn it. But enough about that. And so, yeah, I embarked on, like, what, about 20 years of deference and humility. And I'm not going to elaborate upon that. For more information, search... Fuck you, six time two. P H U K Y O O six nine two. Go back and study my fucking archives. There's a long fucking story there. That should just be the boundary from now on. Like, that's my fucking resume. You want to go listen to? Go listen to that, and then listen to the fuck what I tell you to look for after that, because it's a long story. I don't think I need to recite it again, ever.
especially on this show, which is about economy and storytelling, <laughs> and the lessons then of how to tell a story like more effectively and more cheaply, perhaps than, or for less cost. And I mean, I'm not an expert at it. I have not yet returned value. But look, you know, I walk down the fucking road. I'm not making money in show business, but I make money by picking it up off the fucking ground. And then I go and exchange it. And I have no costs. I mean, this $11 I'm thinking about giving to my sister as a tip, you know, not like she needs a tip, a tip, but just as a, you know, as a, a bit of a, you know, payback for the gift that she's given me. Or I save it. And I get myself a ticket back home after I land in San Francisco. I get, maybe I'll, yeah, I should save it for, uh, getting to Santa Cruz. But by the time I get to San Francisco, I can start recycling cans if I need to. Thank goodness. Unlike apparently in Florida where you can't even recycle cans. I don't know. I never really looked that up, but it was like when I first got here, I noticed there was a bunch of beer cans everywhere in the homeless camps. And I'm like, this doesn't look right. Like, I'm like, either people here are too prosperous to fucking recycle, or I'm too far from a fucking recycle joint. But then I think I found out later that I don't even think you can recycle for money here. I don't think there's a redemption value. So for a homeless guy or a traveler, it's hard to make a few bucks on your own. But in California, I mean, any bum who can walk... If they need to, can recycle cans. And I usually make about five. I could probably make $10 a day. I could probably make a lot more if I really worked at it or if I focused. Because there's guys that do really good. They just, you know, they raid all the recycle bins the day before the or the night before. Or the few hours before, actually, that they're supposed to be recycled. I never really did it that way. I just went around and collected cans. But maybe if I found one or two stashes of huge cans in a recycle, I might do that, but it's kind of theft anyway, but I usually was only doing it for a few bucks here and there to kind of, Weird-ass Rasta pausing before the fucking railroads. Railroad tracks are just fucking being stupid as far as I'm concerned. Causing everybody to be like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Oh, whatever. All right, so. Yeah, so I got 11 bucks. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to buy food with it. I got food stamp money. Oh, I could buy a pair of headphones. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, I could also wait till I get back to Santa Cruz to do that. But actually, the dollar store is the place to buy a dollar pair of headphones. That'd be a good idea. Man, I should probably buy a few of them. Because they'll probably break. 
And that's probably the best thing I could buy for myself, honestly. Like, honestly, I would actually put down, you know, like, five bucks on fucking headphones right now. Just for the future, because I'm not likely to find those cheap headphones again. But on the other hand, I'm probably more likely to, I don't know. I don't know if I'm more likely to get headphones in Santa Cruz or just... Because, like, in Los Angeles and shit, you can find cheap headphones. The tourist ones. Man, I'll never forget when I found, like, the tourist headphones here in Miami Beach were, like, four or five times better than the cheap headphones in Beverly Hills. The tourist ones. So I found three pairs of them. Tied them up all nice and tight. Put them in plastic bags. And then I fucking stashed them in a bush and someone found my shit and robbed it. And it was like, oh, it pissed me off so bad. Because, like, I really wish I had those headphones now. But now that I got some cash, I guess I can buy headphones. But like I'm saying, probably the best thing I could do for myself is buy some pants. Because I think back when I get to San Francisco, like, I was thinking I could use this money to get home with. But my sister will probably give me a ride. But even if I buy headphones and if I get a cheap pair of pants, I might still have six bucks six or seven bucks and I could walk to San Jose which would be a trek but you know walk walks from South San Francisco through Palo Alto Menlo Park and all that stuff and just walk on down to San Jose it'd take me probably a day or two for sure but um then I could ride the bus to Santa Cruz for seven bucks I don't know, or I could catch a ride, I mean, you know, there's probably a bunch of people I could catch a ride from, including my sister, I'm sure she'd pick me up in San Jose, she'd probably come up to San Francisco and ride me out though, I just haven't confirmed that with her, thing is, is like, I almost don't care, when I get to California, I'm just going to be like, oh, I'm in California, yay, I mean, I know I'll get back to Santa Cruz soon thereafter, but I'm just thinking about what to do with this 11 bucks. Yeah, I kind of feel like three headphones is probably a really good idea. Because I won't be seeing a dollar store again. Last time I bought a pair of headphones, though, at the uh, dollar store, I bought these kind of funny ones with a piece of cloth on the earbuds. I just wanted to see how they worked. And from out of the box, only one headphone worked. But fuck, even one headphone would be good for my for this device, because just to plug in to listen to movies again. But anyway, yeah, so dollar headphones aren't the best headphones at all. I mean, out of the box, the damn thing only worked on one ear. But that was this unique version of fucking headphones that I'm not going to buy this time. Pretty sure the other ones work adequately. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm starting to wonder if there's going to be a time where Bluetooth headphones come in at a dollar. That would be a trip. Man, I still have my Bluetooth here, but I squished the fucking one side of it, though, so it broke. Which I felt so dumb about. Like, I never... Like, I used to never sleep on my bag, and I have a reason for that, because it breaks wires. And I break chargers, I break headphones, whatever. You know, it's not a good idea to sleep on your electronics. Um, I'm saying, or for me, it's been, I've broken a lot of electronics by sleeping on them as a pillow in my bag. So I stopped that practice a long time ago, but 
I forgot to remember why, you know, and so I was sleeping on my bag and I broke my headphones and I, I knew I broke my wired headphones and I'm like, oh shit, I broke them, that was stupid. And then instead of learning from my mistake, I kept sleeping on my bag and then I broke my Bluetooth headphones, which are wired but not, they don't connect to the device, they have one, one wire. Anyway, I felt fucking stupid, doubly stupid. Maybe like triply stupid because I had already learned, I should have learned the mistake and I didn't. Hey, there you are, Iguana. What's up? Hey, Iguana. I don't think I'm going to the beach again. It's a good creek right here. I don't even know what this creek is all about. Where does it come from? What does it do? It's almost a river. It's a canal. I feel like I wanted to pontificate about this Holocaust Museum right here. Or when I was crossing back yesterday, I was talking about that journal system that I'm opposed to. I guess they're just propagandists. I don't even know if that's fair to say, if they're just idiots. And I don't even know if that's fair to say. So it's like, uh, they're a mixture of people who are seemingly into tech journalism, but subsidized by a ruling class family. And they have a dominant ideology in their brains, which they see seem to like espouse which is in error essentially they're fucking wrong on a lot of stuff and they're not they're not they're not attached to more substantial empirical fact sets that are extraordinary i mean really ordinary but just very different than where they're at i don't know how to put it any other way right now are they shills are they propagandists are they just bad journalists are they even journalists who knows who knows? Who cares? But I posit myself against them, and then I tell stories, because I do kind of think of myself as a journalist. And I think journalism in America, as a practice, if if anybody's really into journalism, they might notice that most of the so-called journalists are fucking bad. They're not good. They're either not good at journalism, or they're idiots. Or they're shills, or they're propagandists. And I think a lot of people think of them as shills, or propagandists. But that might be not exactly how it runs, because if you just give an adequately intelligent individual a position as a journalist, and you just coach them a little bit, they're psyoped as well, perhaps. And that's sort of how I continue to argue, is that maybe... maybe these people will change. But then, like, this, you know, they get a millennial podcaster crew to fucking try to shame me for being an anonymous journalist. Like, we don't like the trolls. No, we don't like trolls. We're not talking about that. We like the good anonymous, the ones that are trying to get popular. Yeah. 
I mean, sorry to make fun of Valley Girls, but in the instance where this, their whole operation is like designed on so many fronts to attack things that are like effective, then, you know, to see it in that context, it's like, yeah, it's just more assault. And it's amusing. It's funny. And I feel like I'm impervious. But what am I not impervious to? There's other psyops that I must be impervious to. I mean, pervious, I guess. is fucking sounds so weird. I'm pervious to that. Well, I'm not impervious. If I'm not impervious to it, then I'm pervious to it. Is that not true? How fucking ridiculous is that word? Oh, my God, I'm pervious. I'm pervious to things. And I'm like, I'm pervious to, you know, repeated racial and sexist attacks against the designated categories that I may be called. That fucking triggers me. And now I see it, and I'm like, wow. They're fucking making me go outraged on this bullshit that I'm not even, you know, it's not even me. But I, like, argue about it all the time because I'm like, you're being a racist, you're being sexist. And she is, like, impervious to those allegations if she gets them. And then she goes, I'm being attacked by anonymous trolls. <laughs> Basically, that's how she behaves. She's like, I've had a problem with that. And then so they got this other thing coming out against anonymous trolls. But, you know, my ethos is already, like completely understood. I realize I live in a totalitarian system that murders people, and anonymity or pseudo-anonymity is a helpful option for people who are trying to stay alive while still telling the truth. But that would be like over the heads of fucking so many people there. They either don't know that kind of stuff, or they're just like, they laugh about it, because they're such assholes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Can people secretly judge those who have green thought buttons on their iPhones? Are you secretly judging your non-Apple users? Yes. Scott Galloway making fun of fucking Android users. That was horrible, dude. God, what a fucking horrible person that guy is. But anyway, you know, that's just the stakes of the game. And yeah, sure enough, I'm like... I'm thinking about getting an iPhone. I'm like, you know what? Then I won't have to listen to all this crap. I'll have an iPhone and I'll just be like, all these other assholes. I'll be on my iPhone. Mainly I want to get an iPhone to airdrop memes to teens. Talk about another vulnerability, though. That's fucking... That'd be awful. Suddenly I'm, I'll be getting airdropped naked pictures of teenage girls. And then they'll fucking arrest me and they'll go, look, you have child porn on your thing. I'm like, dude, I didn't drop that shit on my phone. Talk about a vulnerability to be selectively enforced. Chris Hansen would show up and go, let me see your phone. I'm like, bro, I'm on the BART. I'm on the BART train. Some bitch just fucking airdropped me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or you don't. Oh, my God. That's the fucking world. It's just, it's like everything's, you know... Nobody listens to a real journalist. Everybody makes fun of a real journalist. And in the end, you know, I'm either going to get framed or set up or fucking just ignored the rest of my life. And what's the point? What's the point of journalism? I get no real good feedback. 
you know, I can't tell if I'm making a difference. And I've done it for, I did it for 10 years, so I'm like, I'm kind of over that. So the new journalism for me is more like, well, just whatever the fuck I want to talk about, you know. But I'm still, like, investigating my own Puritan work ethic thing and trying to find out why I was caused to be altruistic and why I deferred. And, you know, I find, I find that communist Jews were always the ones telling me to hate myself or getting other people to tell me to hate myself. For something I had no control over, the color of my skin, the position of my birth. And it's, it's taken me back to maybe a time when I was 18 or 19 and I, back then I still had like a supremacist streak or just a, an acceptance streak, which is I am this person. Why would I not want to be this person? Why don't I take advantage of this? And it's sad to me that, you know, I lost a lot along the way by trying to be altruistic and trying to serve other people. And not only did I lose a lot, but nobody fucking followed. Nobody can, nobody worked, well, some people did. Some people worked together to try to do the greater good thing. But a lot of people didn't. So I have like so little tolerance for black privilege, Jewish privilege, Hispanic privilege, gay privilege. I mean, all that shit, trans privilege. I mean, these people are so privileged. And they're just constantly berating white men about their privilege. But meanwhile, I mean, the, the point is, is life goes on. And, you know, the more you talk like that, the less you fucking are going to have somebody like me on your side. And what does that mean? Well, we'll see. What does that mean? NFCFACTS. I told you about my history. Go find it. I don't need to speak about it again. Yeah, and basically I'm just going to go chill out. Look for a second-hand clothing shop to buy me some pants if I can. And that's that. The nearest Starbucks is like two miles away. It's too far. Ouch. 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 Got some shit in my shoe. It sucks. And, yeah, no, nothing else. I'm just counting down the hours now until I leave. Concerned about my... Uh, Concerned about my alarm. Got my boarding pass. I was thinking about all the vulnerabilities to my phone. Like, as soon as you like download a, a boarding pass, if someone had a, a passable fake ID of you, I mean, you're basically fucked. Somebody could totally get on your thing, and especially if, especially if like you weren't going to show up for your flight. Oh man, that's just nice ivory work over here. Looks like ivory. Wow, that's fucking cool work. Oh my god, is that ivory? Oh man, that looks so awesome. I think it's ivory. Wow. That's good looking work. Maybe it's marble. Or maybe it's uh, jade or something. I don't even know if ivory can be sold anymore, even if it's antique. 
I don't even know if I'd want to buy ivory, but it did look like really good work. Yeah, so basically I'm just going to go in and charge up my phone. I don't know why I'm telling people this, but, you know, this is going to be NFCF number four. The other one's going to be number three. Put together a podcast as long as the earphones aren't going to blare out music or sound and uh, sit there and fucking publish. Then the damn thing is going to take two days to load into fucking Google Podcasts. I'm looking for a distribution point that is like... Uh... You know, more rapid. Otherwise, you know, if I wanted to really come out with something, I put it out on my own thing, and yes, it would have a weird link. It would have a weird link. Nasty Tiffany. It'd have a weird link. Ooh, nice apple. found a weird link. It's an Apple Make America Great Again. Well, they don't like it when it says Make America Great Again. MAGA. Hell. <laughs> Hell. That was one of Jimmy Fallon's best jokes. If it wasn't for ill, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd like Jimmy Fallon at all. It's only ooh that saved him in my mind. That's the fucking funniest joke I ever heard in my life. Hell. That's what their show is. Why'd you push that button? L. L. Why'd you push that button? L. No, I like it. I really do. But those girls, I'm not going to say they need to learn what's real. Maybe someday they will learn what's real. It's an option. 